Hello and um, welcome to this episode of the CMS Oil and Gas Annual Review podcast series. In this series, we're discussing the latest developments in English oil and gas law and what it means for the industry. My name's Valerie Allen. I'm joined today by Judith Aldersey-Williams, and we're both partners in the energy team in our Aberdeen office. In this episode, we're discussing some of the key issues and developments in the regulation of the oil and gas industry in the UKCS by the Oil and Gas Authority over the last 12 to 18 months. There have been quite a lot of, of things that they have tackled over that time. But probably the most significant uh, development we've seen in terms of UK oil and gas regulation over the last 12 to 18 months has been the um, acceleration of activity in the sector in relation to the net zero obligation uh, and in particular the update to the MER UK strategy, which going forward will be called the, the OGA strategy, to incorporate the uh, net zero concept uh, and obligations around that into the into the strategy. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um, of course, that, that wasn't the first time that the OGA have mentioned their views and their role in the energy transition. It's been a theme that they've been developing, I think, over the last 18 months to to two years, um, there was a a policy paper that they had circulated in the the summer of 2019. And then, of course, in December in 2019, we saw their interim findings on the uh, energy integration project that they've been working on with other regulators to try to work out how best to create an integrated energy basin and, and increase the links between the oil and gas industry and the renewables industry and um, and support long-term activity in, in CCS and, and hydrogen generation and so forth. And then, uh, of course, we had the comments from Tim Egger at the start of 2020, the OGE chairman, really um, encouraging the industry to, to try to act much, much faster in terms of carbon footprint reduction and, and in, in achieving kind of a leadership role in that in that space. Um, and the OGA also, of course, increased the levy for 2021, specifically in part to accommodate new work in relation to the net zero target. So I suppose it it perhaps wasn't really so much of a surprise um, when they launched their consultation on the OGA strategy in, in May 2020 that that included uh, aspects of, in relation to, to net zero. Um, but I think perhaps the fact that they had gone so far as to include that in the central obligation, that, that underlying requirement that the rest of the strategy builds on, was was perhaps more than industry had expected. Absolutely. And I certainly think they got quite a lot of um, feedback from industry on whether it was appropriate to add that second limb to the central obligation, requiring the industry to take appropriate steps to to assist the Secretary of State in meeting the net zero target, Um, whether that really should be on a par with the obligation to um, secure the maximum value of uh, economically recoverable petroleum, and and whether potentially those two aims could come into conflict, I think the uh, the OGA's view was very much that the second limb 
the net zero activities were activities to be undertaken while securing the maximum value of economically recoverable petroleum. They don't see a, 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 a conflict there. Um, effectively, what they're requiring is that when people are developing oil and gas infrastructure, they have to reduce as far as reasonable in the circumstances their greenhouse gas emissions. And that's fundamentally going to involve um, reductions in flaring and venting. Um, changing power generation from the current um, gas powered and diesel powered generation to uh, electricity. That's either electricity from shore or electricity from uh, offshore renewable generation uh, and also supporting carbon capture and storage. And that central obligation then feeds down into the specific obligations uh, around areas, including uh, development, uh, all the way through to decommissioning. So there are uh, specific references to the net zero target now built into a number of the supporting obligations. And of course, there's a separate supporting obligation specifically about uh, CCUS. Yeah, I, I think though that is going to require to some extent a little bit of a change of mindset in the industry in, in filtering that net zero factor all the way through the whole value chain for the industry. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of specific projects and the approaches that are taken to those projects and to calculating the value of those projects and, and whether they do um, achieve Murray UK having that new factor to take into account. Uh, absolutely, because all of these um, new technologies and and um, additional facilities will involve uh, a capital cost and, and an operating cost, and, and that is all going to have an impact on whether projects as a whole um, meet industry's own standards for levels of, of return, or indeed meet the satisfactory expected commercial return, which is the OGA's test as to whether a project uh, is, is required for the purposes of Mo UK. And hopefully the guidance will also help um, the industry understand to what extent it's required to take these possible future projects into account as it's planning its infrastructure and, and its development and its decommissioning. Um, because I think on the bare bones of the strategy as currently drafted, there's there's some doubt as to how far into the future they need to look when they're making those assessments. That's true. And, and certainly I think that was one of the areas where the industry gave some, some feedback on the consultation. And uh, the OGA has made uh, a, a small change in the final version uh, relating to CCUS. Um, uh, requiring those projects to be taken into account only where there's a reasonable prospect of their of their um, going forward, uh, but one person's reasonable prospect is is another person's sort of outside chance, and uh, uh, that will certainly be uh, an interesting area to watch going forward. Uh, equally, in relation to decommissioning, I, th I think there are some. Um, fairly big questions left outstanding uh, to be resolved over the next couple of years. Um, where fields um, 
have the potential to be used for CCUS projects. And of course, not every field does, uh, but where they do, uh, if there is no current plan for a CCS project, but there is a reasonable prospect of one going ahead, but not for some time, perhaps a matter of years, then what is the obligation of the um, uh, current licensees in relation to decommissioning? In particular, if the OGA feels that some bits of the infrastructure should be left in place for potential future use for CCUS, then who is going to pay for those to be maintained because there is inevitably, particularly with platforms, uh, an ongoing cost of leaving them in place, even um, when they're no longer being used actively for production. Uh, and it's not clear how that how that cost is is going to be met. No, I, I think that's right. And of course, there's also the technology piece here as well, isn't there, that that um, requirement that the um, supporting obligation now includes uh, that the uh, industry has to um, ensure that these technologies are are developed where appropriate. That's right. Um, it, the original draft consultation talked about um, relevant persons ensuring that um, new technologies are developed. And there was a concern on the part of industry that that was really requiring um, the industry to become technology developers. And of course, that isn't part of the core skill set of, of all oil companies, although some oil companies do have um, R&D divisions. Um, luckily, uh, in, in the final version, that's been slightly um, uh, mitigated and it now talks about encouraging the de development of such technologies. But still, that is quite a, uh, a significant obligation. And those technologies are no longer just technologies relating to um, oil and gas uh, production and maximising that, but also technologies for reducing the need for flaring and venting, uh, reducing uh, power generation emissions, uh, enabling CCUS projects, uh, and, and in appropriate cases, also enabling uh, hydrogen projects offshore. So um, the whole industry is going to have to get itself up to speed with um, the, the state of technology in all of those areas. There were two other areas, I think, that we thought were interesting developments in the OGA strategy. Um, one was the enhanced sporting obligation around collaboration. And that, I suppose, really um, feeds into that theme that we spoke about earlier of the OGA looking to encourage industry behaviour and, and industry practice to follow a particular path and avoid commercial behaviours slowing down development and progress in the basin. Do you think that's going to lead to a particular additional difficulties? Well, there, of course, already was um, an obligation on parties to collaborate in the uh, original strategy. The new uh, obligation is given, I think, slightly more prominence. It becomes a, a fully supporting obligation as, as, as opposed to just a, a behaviour. And it extends not just to other relevant persons who, of course, have an equivalent obligation, but also to persons seeking to invest in offshore 
infrastructure or licenses um, and, and the supply chain. And I think one of the concerns that industry will have around that is that those other persons don't necessarily have the same uh, obligation to collaborate because they're not bound by the, the strategy. Uh, and it can, therefore, in some cases, become quite easy for other people to use the Mo UK strategy as a means of um, trying to effectively to persuade somebody to agree with their point of view and saying, if you don't agree with me, you're failing to collaborate. Uh, so it's going to be important that the OGA, I, I think, sees through um, those kinds of, of, of claims. Uh, on the other hand, the OGA has has limited resources and does definitely seek to prioritise those resources and is not going to uh, want to find itself being dragged into uh, every commercial dispute that, that's happening in the in the UKCS. Yeah, I think that's right. We'd already seen uh, the slightly softer required behaviour in the Mayor UK strategy that required parties to consider whether collaboration would further the Mayor UK objectives being used as a basis for quite a lot of argument where there were difficult discussions ongoing and accusations of, of, of people not complying with Mayor UK because they weren't effectively doing deals quickly or agreeing with the counterparty. And so I, I think that's the, the enhanced obligation really risks that line of argument being picked up and run much more frequently. And as you say, the fact that there are counterparties who are not within the scope of the OGA strategy who are with whom you're required to collaborate might make demonstrating compliance quite difficult for the industry. I think, again, it's perhaps an area where some guidance from the OGA will be helpful, and but we'll just need to watch this space. Um, Absolutely. And I think one of the areas where that um, might particularly come to the fore is in relation to um, CCUS projects, where there is a particular obligation to collaborate with persons planning and carrying out CCUS projects. Now, we are quite used in the industry to uh, needing to negotiate access to infrastructure for third parties in relation to oil and gas projects. And in that regard, there is a very uh, well-established industry code of practice on um, access to infrastructure, backed up by statutory provisions which enable the OGA, if the parties can't agree, to actually set terms. Um, the carbon capture and storage business is slightly different in that there is no such code of practice, there is no underlying statutory uh, power to set terms, but nonetheless there is this obligation to uh, negotiate access to infrastructure for carbon capture and storage projects in a timely fashion and in good faith. And, and when nobody knows um, at this point what the uh, commercial structures are going to be for carbon capture and storage, quite what timely um, negotiation would uh, entail is is not at all clear. And I can see some, some issues around that. The other piece that the strategy picks up, which is new, and again feeds into this commercial behaviours uh, theme, is the question of corporate governance and, and new obligations from the OGA um, 
to apply good and proper governance and, and to follow the OGA's directions. That's right. And um, again, this is an area where I think they got quite a lot of feedback from, from, from industry on their consultation around whether and in what circumstances really it was appropriate for the OGA to be setting standards for corporate governance, which is arguably an area where parties are already subject to an enormous number of either um, compulsory or voluntary uh, regimes setting corporate governance standards, particularly where licensees and operators are um, uh, listed companies, which of course many of them are. It is possible that the OGA has in mind dealing with companies that are not subject to those um, uh, stock exchange type uh, rules and have chosen not to uh, apply other uh, voluntary sets of standards that might be available to them. But their consultation paper was a little bit vague about why they thought they needed these additional powers. And uh, we won't know precisely what they have in mind uh, until we get some some more guidance in this area. But I think um, it's to be hoped that the OGA uh, steers away from duplicating existing sets of of standards, um, placing additional reporting burdens on companies who are are already required to report on things like um, the gender pay gap, uh, modern slavery, uh, their environmental performance in very many uh, different ways, uh, and and tries to limit its guidance to areas where it thinks that there's some sort of regulatory gap. Mm. And I I suppose industry can take some comfort from the comments that were made by the OG in their response to the consultation that they are mindful of the fact that there's a risk of regulatory overlap generally and that that is not their intention so they're not looking to add a layer of of red tape unnecessarily or additionally burden industry with uh, new requirements and costs. Indeed and and I think that there were some clues in the original consultation um, uh, particularly where it talked about a um, um, potentially appointing a, a a UKCS champion or somebody on the board who who had understanding of the uh, UKCS approach. And it may just be that they have found particular instances where licensees who perhaps have have, uh, oil and gas operations in other territories have come into the UKCS with an inadequate understanding of um, the UK regime or the UK's um, uh, move towards net zero um, and perhaps have been um, uh, not adapting as as fast as as the OGA thinks they should to the uh, political context, I guess you could say, in, 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 in the UK. And in particular, the pressure that the OGA has identified for the industry to maintain its social license to operate, a term that now indeed appears in the introductory principles to the the OGA strategy. So overall then, a a new set of challenges or another layer of challenges on industry um, 
what do you think the key themes are going to be for the next year? Well, um, I think from from what we've said, we can see two main main themes. One is this rapid um, acceleration of the focus on on net zero, and that's reflected not just, of course, in what the OGA has been doing, but also what industry itself has been doing through the Oil and Gas UK's uh, roadmap 2035, uh, Vision 2035, um, and its work in relation to um, setting specific emissions targets for, for the industry. Uh, so the, 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 there will be a lot of work ongoing in various um, parts of industry looking at the opportunities uh, to introduce um, net zero uh, positive pr projects uh, in various um, uh, fields, pipeline systems, whatever. Uh, and then the other area is is around industry behaviour and some of the um, more intractable uh, sets of negotiations that are going on. Uh, and we will, I suppose, be looking to see where the OGA chooses to get involved. So what its priorities are. And of course, it's it's statutory notice around meetings gives us a fairly good idea of, of where it cur its current focus is. So we need to look out for any changes to that and where it chooses, uh, if it chooses, uh, to first uh, exercise its sanctions powers. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, thanks for that, Judith. Quite a lot to look out for in the, in the next year. Um, interesting times and we'll see what the next 12 months brings. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you found that useful. Please do get in touch if you've got any questions or, or comments. We'd love to hear your views on these issues. <laughs>